There's a few things that um, Pam and Adam and Steve shared about uh, concerning love being a verb that I want to also touch on, but um, I'm hoping that hearing things a second time or a different way will uh, help you to understand um, what God is saying about this. So this morning it's as easy as one, two, three. We have one parable to look at. We have two testimonies, one about a couple and one about a single person. Three photos of World War II memorials. I had to get a bit of show and tell in there somehow, but it's very, very relevant. And just to make the one, two and three a bit more interesting, I'm going to tell you the story of a harem of old ladies. So, I hope you're, uh, you're ready. I hope you're ready for action. But my goal this morning is not to um, have you leave feeling happy or um, self-satisfied in any kind of way. I do want to stir things up a little bit. And uh, I hope that this morning you're challenged to do some thinking and not just be entertained. Um, but understand that uh, when we're talking love being a verb, it, it does take some hard work. It does take some hard work and we're all part of that story. So if you're feeling a little unsettled or uncomfortable during my message, that's good. That's good because I think God speaks to us at those times. A few weeks ago, Steve said that believing is useless without action. And that's so true, isn't it? You know, we can agree in theory with something. We can have a concept of something. But it just remains a concept it doesn't get any traction, it doesn't become reality in our life. And the difference between just having a concept of something and having reality is that a concept is smaller than us and it fits in around our existing beliefs, it fits in around our lifestyle and uh, it's formed by the life around us, it fits into our agenda. When something in our life is reality, it is bigger than us. It is bigger than us, and I think we've heard some examples this morning already. There's red frogs, there's a reality for those involved. And it drives the agenda of your life. It's the basis on which aspects of life is formed. It involves sacrifice of individual needs. So a concept fits into our life. If something is a reality, it drives our life. And my prayer is that love, being a verb, Love in action is not just a concept, it just doesn't fit into our life somewhere, but it drives it. Another example might be um, fitness. Now, we would agree that fitness is important, health is important. It can be a concept, and when I get time, I'll do some exercise. And um, when it warms up, I'll uh, get up a bit earlier and, and go for a walk. And uh, when summertime comes, it's nice eating salad and vegetables. Well, I'll change my winter diet then. And all these kind of things are concepts. If it's reality, then you're one of those people that gets up at 5.30 regardless of the time. Or you make your life fit around that. To move from a concept to reality, I think there's two things that are needed. One is some kind of personal uneasiness or something that stirs us and makes us aware of something. And the other is action. For example, if you had this idea of, of health and fitness as a concept and you went to the doctor and the doctor said, well, unless you shed X number of kilos or unless you do something to reduce your blood pressure 
or unless you change your diet, then not good news. That would be the kind of thing, that personal uneasiness that would spur you into action. And all of a sudden that fitness isn't just a concept, but it's a reality. If we're going to be people who really show the love of God, it's got to be reality in our lives. And our lives have to be based around that, not the other way around. Our lives have to be shaped by Jesus' commandment, love one another. And that should be what shapes our agenda and motivates us, not the other way around. On our travels, I saw an example of this that really hit home. Can we have a look at that first photo, please, Caleb? This is the first photo of one of the World War II memorials, an unusual kind of a thing. Let me tell you the story about it. So this is in a courtyard. There's buildings all around it. And um, this is a memorial to people who were German people who were against the war and tried to uh, resist it. So it was the German resistance to the war. They speak quite freely about the war over in Germany. And um, in this courtyard, there are actually some uh, German resistance fighters who are executed. They had tried to assassinate Hitler. That had failed. They were caught and they were assassinated there in that courtyard. It's a funny kind of memorial to them. But what you can see are two big long steps. And uh, Jane there in the pink is stepping over the first one. And the idea is that the first step is a fairly easy one to step over. There's nothing difficult about that. And that's like that awareness I was talking about, where you suddenly think, oh, okay, maybe there's something not quite right here. Maybe there's some sort of action I need to do. Uh, I didn't really notice it before. The second step is a bigger one, and it's a harder one to step over. And that's where there is this personal response, this commitment, this action. Okay, the first step is awareness, something's not quite right. The second step is action. I'm involved. What do I need to do? What is my response? Uh, in the case of the resistance fighters, that was what led to, uh, to them giving their own lives because they knew that something had to be done. Thanks, Caleb. And so I think it's the same with loving one another. We have to be aware of what the need is and not just go on our merry life, but it's not just about that first step in awareness. It's about, well, what is my response? What is my commitment? Let's see what Jesus says about this. Uh, Our passage this morning is in Luke 15, and it's the story of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So that parable is a justification of the reason that Jesus would spend time with people who were sinners or social outcasts. And it shows that he didn't want to overlook the one. But as we delve deeply into that 
for a few minutes, we'll see that it does create a personal uneasiness and also give examples of action that we need to do if we're going to bring love from a concept into a reality in our lives. If you look at the first few verses, verses 1 and 2, we see that the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And I think this is the first action point that Jesus shows us that we need to do. And that is that we need to be positioned in the right places. Jesus intentionally positioned himself with these people who would have been overlooked otherwise. He wasn't found in typical places. If loving one another is to be a reality in our life, then we too have to be found in places that cause others to mutter. With people and places outside the norm. Why would you go to Bali and spend your money? They muttered. Why would you do red frogs? They muttered. Why wouldn't you let these young people suffer the consequences of their choices? They muttered. You could almost see that fitting into this parable, couldn't you? Or uh, why would you keep going back overseas to an orphanage? Or why would you go to Kumbala? Why is it that you do street safe? You could imagine people muttering those kind of things, not quite understanding. And it can occur at different levels, not just in the things that we've heard in the service this morning. When I was uh, in my early 20s, I had a good friend who was a school friend and uh, the church I attended, and he attended as well, had three services in the morning. There was the 8 a.m. service, and that was for old people who were awake at 5.30, had plenty of time to get ready, and had to race home and put the roast on for Sunday lunch. Then there was the 11 o'clock service, and that was for young families who needed that time to get ready to get to church in one piece. And then there was the 7 o'clock service, and that was for the young people because we were awake by then. And so the young people used to go to the 7 o'clock service. Occasionally I'd go to one of the others, but mostly the 7 o'clock service. But this friend of mine started to get to know, shock horror, they muttered, some old ladies. He would talk with them, quite enjoyed the company. They enjoyed his company. And he started going to the 8 o'clock service as well as the 7 o'clock service. Couldn't believe it. Like, why would you have a late night on Saturday night and get up and go to the 8 o'clock service just to talk with old ladies? And we used to joke about his harem of old ladies. Now, he was in his early 20s, um, but really connected well with these people. And uh, he would visit them. He would take them shopping. He would look after the things that they needed and did all kinds of things to support these people. And we muttered... Fancy, spending your time with old ladies. But this is the kind of thing I guess Jesus is showing, that we're not found in the typical kind of places. We're found in somewhere that's a bit different. We're positioning ourselves where the love of God needs to be shown. The second thing that came out of this parable for me, in verse (coughs) 4, excuse me, where Jesus says, In response to their question, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. One of you. So he puts the question straight back to the people who'd been asking him to justify why you're with sinners. Suppose one of you. Now there's that personal uneasiness. Can you imagine if you asked Jesus a question to try and trip him up and 
and uh, show him that he's doing the wrong thing. And his response says, well, what about if you were to do such and such? He's putting it straight back on them, causing that uneasiness, that awareness. And what he's saying is to us is that it's ownership. We are part of this. This story of this lost sheep is not Jesus saying, well, I have a hundred sheep and I lost one and I went to look for it. It's one of you. It's us. We are part of the picture. Loving one another is not something just for some people. It's for all of us. So how does it make you feel when you hear that? You have a responsibility to love one another. You are part of the picture. It's your job to make this reality in your life. And I hope this stirs up something inside you. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. Suppose God is prompting you to talk with that first-time visitor in church. Suppose you should say hi to your unknown neighbour. Suppose you should support the Red Frogs team. Suppose you should call the person who hasn't been at church for a while. Or suppose you should offer your time and car to take someone out shopping. Suppose you should have those people over for dinner. Suppose you should move from something that's totally comfortable to totally uncomfortable for you. Suppose you are the body of Christ, charged with letting others know of the love of God. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, we read, Share one another's burdens. Suppose you are called to do that. And in this way, obey the law of Christ, the law of Christ, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Suppose you are being called to help somebody else. And further in that verse, verse 4, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Now, that really stood out to me, loses one of them. How does the shepherd know he lost one of the sheep? If you had a paddock with a hundred sheep in it, one of them was missing, how would you know? You could look at all those hundred sheep or 99 sheep and think there are a hundred. You wouldn't know, would you? So there's some deliberate action happening that allows the shepherd to know one is missing. Counting, checking, making sure everyone's okay. And Jesus is showing here that if we're going to love and make it reality, we have to do some deliberate things about it. Can we have a look at the next photo? Thanks, Caleb. This one is a memorial to um, children victims of, uh, of the war. There were uh, disabled children who were taken from families and used for medical experiments. It's a very, very sad story. It's a funny kind of a memorial. Why would that be to those children? Well, you've got these two steel plates that curve around. You can walk between those two steel plates. Um, it would be, say, twice my height. But when you're at the start, you can't see the end. And when you're in the middle, you can't see where it's going. And what it's saying is you can get caught into something that seems okay, but you don't know where it leads. You don't know where it's going. And it says you need to stop 
you need to think. You need to be intentional and deliberate about what's going on around you and not just drift in and keep going along with the flow. Thanks, Kayla. And when Jesus knows that one sheep is missing, he's being intentional and deliberate. Jesus didn't come to earth to let things just drift on to see what happened. Just give it a go, see what happens, roll with the punches. He came to stir things up, to cause that personal uneasiness that prompted people into action. Do we notice when people are lost? Certainly the parable about, is about people who are lost to the kingdom of God, but there's lots of ways of being lost. What about those who are lost in loneliness? Or those who are lost in depression? Or those who are just lost in the busyness of family life? You can be lost in ill health or lost in work. There just seems to be no space to come up and get a break. Or lost in a sense of helplessness about life. Or lost in guilt about what's happened in the past. And how do we as a church know when people are lost if we don't take some deliberate action to check on them? When we were out in Coonabarabran last week and driving along, there were two sheep out of the paddock grazing on the side of the road. And I wondered, will they be missed? How would they be missed? How would a farmer know I've got two sheep that have escaped? What would their fate be? Would they be found and put back in the paddock? Would they try and cross the road while a truck's coming and not have a happy ending? I didn't know what would happen. We can't assume that everybody, even everybody here, is okay just because they're here. It would be heartbreaking to think that anyone from our church family would be lost and no one notices Verse 4 also tells us that this shepherd leaves the 99 in the open country and goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. Until he finds it. Pam spoke about whatever it takes when she talked about the Good Samaritan a few weeks ago. And if love is a reality, it is exactly that. You can't stay still and claim that you're loving others. There's a cost, time, money, effort, annual holidays, energy, but you can't love without that kind of action until he finds it. I mentioned two testimonies that I was going to share. The first is a a Christian couple that we met while we were travelling. They're from the United States. Um, I haven't asked their permission to share their story, so I'll make up their names and call them Fred and Martha. Not their real names. They both came individually from very broken, dysfunctional homes. Martha was adopted, um, had little contact with her birth family, but her adopted family were highly dysfunctional as well. Her adopted brother took his own life. He was the closest person to her. Um, She was about 22 at the time. So some big struggles. Um, She turned to alcohol and partying and uh, that was the background that they came from. Uh, They met, they married and uh, things just fell apart rapidly. They got to the point of uh, of going to divorce. Except Martha's auntie had been praying for her for about 11 years 
and regularly talking with her and saying, you need God, you need God, you need God. And circumstances led her to the point where that became a realisation of her own. And so after that, auntie's faithful prayers and love and care and ministering to her when the opportunity came, after 11 years, Martha became a Christian, then led her husband to the Lord as well. And uh, they're strong as a couple, actively involved in a big church in the United States. And um, it's an amazing testimony from the auntie who was looking for that lost sheep for 11 years until that sheep was found. But the story continues. They had a work colleague who was head of a big business in the United States. And for 22 years, Fred and Martha went on to be a friend to Charlie, this businessman, to uh, talk to him about God, to show the love of God to him, until after 22 years, he also became a Christian. But the story doesn't continue. Their daughter, Fred and Martha's 20-year-old daughter, is experiencing all kinds of challenges personally at the moment. And uh, they shared those with us and asked that we would join and pray for their daughter. And they're believing that she also will be found. So the prayers of the faithful people, those who are looking for the lost and do not give up until that person is found, um, do get honoured. In verse 5 of the parable, we read, And when he finds it, so the shepherd hasn't given up, when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Have you ever been up close and personal with a sheep? We get this cutesy, nice, romantic idea of the shepherd carrying this little sheep on his shoulders and the sheep sort of muzzling the shepherd's face and giving him a bit of a lick and saying, you know, thanks for finding me. We get this idea. But if you've ever been up close and personal with a sheep, you'll realise they smell, that their wool is covered in burrs and seeds and sticks and twigs and poop and all kinds of things. They're not pleasant animals to carry. And I can't imagine if you were carrying a sheep on your shoulders that it would be still. It would be kicking and wriggling and squirming and so forth. But the shepherd joyfully carries this sheep on its shoulders. What really stood out to me is the joy in this. This shepherd has been looking for an hour, a a night, days, weeks, a month, we don't know. But when he finds the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and carries it home again. And I think there are times when God calls us to do things, to love one another, and we don't have this sense of joy, it's this sense of duty. And if you find that sheep, the first thing you want to do is give it a kick up the backside and say, do you know how long it's taken me to find you? I've been looking all over the place. Your brothers and sisters are back here, they're worried sick about you, not to mention your mum is just fretting like you wouldn't believe. I'll give you a piece of my mind. That would be a response, wouldn't it? But there's this joy there. And we have to understand too that God's calling to us to love one another is joy. There might be absolutely nothing in it for us except the sense of fulfilment of what God God has called us to do. I mentioned there were two testimonies. The second is um, from a book I read recently. It's called Kisses from Katie. 
Um, I don't know, Paige, whether you've read this one or not, but very similar to what you're doing. And Katie was a girl who, uh, during her high school years, really felt a calling to go to Uganda and, uh, and to work there. And uh, she's from the United States as well. And instead of finishing schooling and going to college, she uh, moved to Uganda and has done some amazing work there, um, sponsoring, arranging sponsorship for children, setting up a school, um, personally adopting a whole lot of, of uh, African girls herself. But uh, there's a part in the book where she writes that she's absolutely exhausted. She has a house full of people. She's cooking for them, looking after their health, doing all kinds of things. Um, and she's in bed at night and there's cockroaches crawling over her and it's sweaty and she can't sleep. And she just says, I couldn't have been happier. That the joy she had of serving God in that place was just immeasurable, far beyond the circumstances around her. And we need to be aware that none of what we're called to do is, called, is given to us because it makes our life better. It's for serving one another and loving one another. And we need to do that with an attitude of joy. Now, if you're going off to Kumbala um, this afternoon, don't do that dragging your feet, oh, I suppose I should go. You're there with an attitude of joy. You know, as you get on the plane to go to Red Frogs, then this sense of joy, here I am serving God and loving one another. Um, street safe, all the things that the church do, all the things that you do personally to care for each other and love, for, love one another needs to be done with a sense of joy. The final thing I saw in this passage, in verse 6, um, the shepherd goes home, he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. The one who was lost leads to joy with many others. The one becomes many. I mentioned Fred and Martha, these people that we met while we were travelling, their business friend Charlie, who after 22 years accepted the Lord. Not long after, Charlie was very ill and knew that he was going to die. And he said to Fred and Martha, at my funeral, I want the gospel preached. I want the gospel preached. And at the funeral, there were key businessmen from companies all over the United States. You think back, the prayers of Martha's faithful auntie, Martha accepting the Lord, Martha and Fred becoming Christians together, working with Charlie, Charlie coming to the Lord, many other people hearing the message. The one, the prayers and the faithfulness of the one has become many. And that's exciting as well, isn't it? That the effort that we put into loving one another can multiply immeasurably. The story we heard from Lockie this morning about that person from Perth Glory, imagine that if down the track he understands where that love and that care for him and his friends came from and how that can multiply. We don't know what God's intentions are. What does this mean for us, both personally and as a church? Well, I think the first question we need to ask ourselves is the love we have for each other just a concept does it fit in around our life or is it reality? Does it shape our life? Another question to ask is what's stirring within you and what action do you need to take? Is there some awareness, that first step on the memorial, something you're aware of? And is there a bigger step you need to take that has the action and response? In the book Kisses from Katie, 
she talks about how the need was overwhelming. Each day she was just faced with hundreds of children who just needed what she could provide, but she couldn't provide for all of them. And, and she became despaired and despondent and, and said, God, what do I do? What do I do? And God said to her, just look after the one who really stands out to you and I'll let you know which one to care for. I'll show you each day. Maybe for us it's the opposite problem, that often it's an underwhelming need. We just don't know what the needs are around us. It's not quite so obvious. Things like the Good Samaritan who was beaten up on the road, the the traveller rather, who was beaten up on the road, that's obvious to us. But there's needs here that aren't obvious. And I think we need to say to God, God, who is lost? Who is that lost sheep that you want to bring into my field of view today that I can do something with? Who is the one who needs your shoulders? To those here today who feel that you are the lost sheep, can you forgive our failure for noticing that? If you feel, well, Graham, some of the things you're talking about, that's me. I'm sitting here in this crowd of people and I feel lost. Forgive us for not noticing. We're not perfect. But can I say, if that's you, don't wait until we notice. You might have to take the first step or even the second step and go and talk with someone and say, I'm feeling lost. I'm feeling lost. I need a shoulder. Can you help me? Please, don't remain lost. Our weekly challenge this week have we got those cards? Yep, they're coming around. Thanks. Each day this week, ask God to open your eyes to one who is lost. And I think that's the smallest step. That's the awareness. Somebody has a need. What is your role? In loving this person. Yes, you can hand the cards out, thanks. What is your role in loving this person? That is the larger step of commitment and action. Commit to prayer and to action for that person. Remembering that verse from Galatians about sharing each other's burdens. Well, we've read one parable. We've heard of two testimonies. Fred and Martha, and also Katie's, an amazing book. If you want to read Kisses from Katie, I recommend it. We've heard about the old lady's harem. We've seen photos of two memorials, but I did promise there were three. Here's the last one. Thanks, Caleb. It's a very unusual one, a World War II memorial. It's a stylized question mark, but can you also see that it's a face, the outline of a face? Georg Elsa was a German who saw what was happening leading up towards the war. (coughs) Excuse me. And he thought, this is not right. And he also attempted to assassinate Hitler before the war had even begun, early 1939. He failed. It cost him years in jail and he was executed before the end of the war. 
But this memorial to him is a question, what if he had succeeded? What if that had happened and it changed the course of history? And it's the what ifs that I want to finish speaking about. What if you do nothing and the lost remain lost? Or they find another direction that really isn't the right path? What if you stay silent for fear that it's all too complex and too difficult? What if you remain inactive because you're uncertain exactly how it's going to unfold? What if you remain idle because it might fail? What if you don't approach that person because you don't have a natural connection with them? In the meantime, the lost are lost. But what if you find the lost? And what if you love them back into the fold? What can God do then? So this parable shows us that there are no barriers, there should be no barriers, for those who can receive God's love. There's no limitations to what we should do to care for one another and express that love. The Bible says that God so loved the world, but he also loved the one, the one who was lost. And I think he loved the world by loving the one. Jesus taught the crowds, but the outworking of his love was in his interactions with the individuals. In the parable, the shepherd carries the one sheep home, but we know the Lamb of God shouldered the cross for us all. That's the love of God in reality. Is it a reality in your life? We're going to finish with a moment of silence. Um, I'll get the band to come and get ready to play, but don't start to play just yet. So if the band had come forward. I think it's important just to personally reflect on the things we've heard this morning. What is God saying to you? Is loving one another just a mere concept? Is it reality? Are there steps you have to take to be aware of who is lost? And if you are aware, what action needs to follow? What are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with this? I said I hope you felt a little uncomfortable or a little bit challenged today. Well, here's a chance for you just to think that through. So the band won't play. It'll just be silence while you have a chance to think. And uh, then I think the ideal song to finish would be that new one about seeking God. That's, uh, that's very appropriate. So uh, just take some time in silence now and uh, just talk with God.